Whether you're a world-class athlete or a podcaster like me, we all understand the importance of mental and physical well-being and proper recovery for top-notch performance. That's why I'm excited that Unified Healing is sponsoring podcasts on the Blue Wire Network. Unified Healing is a new and super innovative global network of wellness centers powered by Energy Enhancement System, or EE System. If you haven't heard of the EE System yet, then you'll want to listen up. This technology promotes wellness, deep relaxation, purification, and rejuvenation. Wherever you are across the globe, access to a center is easy and affordable. Interested in experiencing the EE System technology for yourself? Go to unifiedhealing.com slash bluewire to learn more and find a center near you. That's unified, U-N-I-F-Y-D, healing.com slash bluewire. No material or testimonials on the Unified Healing website are intended to be viewed as medical advice or a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Always seek the advice of your physician or other qualified healthcare provider with any questions you may have regarding a medical condition or treatment and before undertaking a new healthcare regimen, including EE system. The Favorites Podcast is presented by FanDuel Sportsbook. There's no better place to make every moment more than with FanDuel. I bet with FanDuel because they're safe and secure. They offer great odds and markets across the NBA, NHL, and more. And because it's fun to combine multiple bets into same game parlays. So if you're new, just download the FanDuel Sportsbook app to get started now. Sign up with promo code FAVORITES so they know I sent you. You must be 21 and over and present in Arizona, Colorado, Connecticut, Indiana, Michigan, New Jersey, New York, Tennessee, Virginia, West Virginia, or Louisiana. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP or text NEXT STEP to 53342 in Arizona, 1-800-GAMBLER, or visit FanDuel.com slash RG in Colorado, Indiana, New Jersey, and Virginia, 1-888-789-7777, or visit ccpg.org slash chat in Connecticut, 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan, 1-877-770-STOP in Louisiana. Call the Tennessee Red Line, 1-800-889-9789, or visit 1-800-GAMBLER.NET in West Virginia. Welcome to The Favorites, the podcast from the Volume Podcast Network. I'm Chad Millman, Chief Content Officer of the Action Network. NBA playoffs are about to begin. I love this time of year. It is going to be two straight months of high-intensity, defensive-focused basketball with the greatest athletes in the world, showing it off. Later on in the show, our friend Colin Cowherd, he was with us. Last week, he's back again this week to talk all things NBA, variety of topics, along with me and my co-host, my BFF, my companion, my compadre, professional better, Simon Hunter. Hello, Simon. Chad, yes. Great time to be talking NBA because my team, the Sixers, are one of the best teams in the East. So you know how excited I am for this season. Listen, there's a lot of legacy-defining moments on the line for the Sixers. What's so interesting about the Sixers and I'm sure Coward will have a take about this. What's so interesting about the Sixers is everyone celebrated the idea of the process and Sam Hinkie breaking this team down, multiple years of tanking to get Joel Embiid, to get Nerlens Noel, to get Ben Simmons, right? Okafor. And what's that? Okafor. And Okafor, right? <laughs> All yeah. these years of tanking to get a team that he was building in the image of analytics, right? All of a sudden, he gets fired. 
the team starts to develop around all the players that he loved and he drafted. It's a kind of a true success story. And then what's interesting even after that is they bring in Daryl Morey, who's the father of analytics in the NBA, and he's busting the team up and going in a completely different direction and going all in on a guy in James Harden, who isn't the player that was sort of the analytics superstar when Morey had him in Houston. So the legacy of this team is really about the process, but what is going to define whether or not anything was successful is going to be the connection between two superstars, which is what it always is in the NBA. Yeah. It's like you're on either side. You really want it to fail or you wanted it to succeed. And I feel like we can all agree that it did, it did succeed. Like his whole little plan of the NBA is just about having the superstar. I want as many rounds and like clips in the, sh- the gun to shoot as many times as I can in the first round, second round, just try to hit these guys. Little did we know we were going to get a guy that had foot issues and back problems, third pick overall and Embiid. I think he played 50 games in the first three years. That's that's what it's all about. It's like you just take these high risks where the sure things and the Markel Fultz, the Ben Simmons, I've seen all of them fall by their wayside. So it, it's been, um, as a fan, it's been interesting where it's like, I remember those days of just horrible basketball. Like literally they're playing G League guys as our starting five, like guys that would not be in the league without the Sixers existing, like not even bench guys. And to me, it's like, yeah, we've kind of busted in every playoff thing, but as a basketball fan, this is kind of what I like. It's like, we have a superstar. We're always in contention. We're always in the news because we have the players that, that to me is what it's all about where you don't want to be like the Knicks, the Knicks, Never have any real superstars. I mean, they had Porzingis for a cup of coffee there and mellow, but a lot of these teams, they just spin their tires at that five, six seed where I either want to be the top seed or the worst team in basketball. And to me, that's what Hinky was all about. So now we'll find out, right? We'll find out once and for all, which way works. Is it a superstar tandem that can do it? It's a very interesting time. You look at the top of the East, the Bucks, the Heat, who, as the season wound down, had that incredible clip of Udonis Haslam and Jimmy Butler and Eric Spolstra going after each other. Uh, it's already hard to remember. That was just phenomenal. You don't see that in the NBA. And you got the Sixers. Like, that's clearly the cream of the crop. And then, like, in that next tier, the Celtics are a team, right, that could bust through. The Bulls have probably proven that they're not quite ready. They needed their full complement. Uh, they had too many injuries this year to really compete. So this is a good shot for the Sixers. My only fear as a fan is the Nets. Like Kyrie, we all know he's going to be back full steam in the playoffs. To me, of all the teams that we played, they seem like they legit hate hate us. I don't know if it's just because they're getting Ben Simmons' back or what, but I've watched them play a couple of games now, and the effort they put against the Sixers compared to these other teams they play, it, it was definitely alarming. KD is awesome because every single day, it just seems like there's another clip on social media of him Trash talking fans while yeah. he's playing. It's honestly KD against the world. Yeah. No, he's leaned into it because for a while there, he was going through what I think a lot of us go through in life where it's like, why don't these people like me? If people have liked my whole life, why does everyone hate me when they would have done what exactly what I did, which is go to Golden State? And I love the KD of embracing the hate. Like, he does not care. He'll tell people how it is. I mean, one of my favorite stories ever was he went on a date with a girl. And she asked him who the other girl was behind him. And he said, that's my other date in case this date doesn't work out. And I feel like that is KD to the max. That's his like attitude on everything. So I love KD. I've never heard that story. 
Yeah, it's a true story. So a guy did like a right, like a tell-all book about KD and Kyrie that first year for the Nets. And it's, it's in there. It's a great story about him bringing a girl with him on a date to a date. See, that's so interesting. Kobe went through the same thing, right? Kobe came in the league and as a teenager and was trying to be marketed as, you know, this all-American story and this good-looking guy and he's going to the prom with Brandy. And then he's prosecuted for rape. When he comes out of that, the entire demeanor has changed. It's almost like that moment freed him from trying to be anything he wasn't. For the rest of his career, he was a super aggressive, hyper competitive, able to be mean to anybody he wanted to. And KD has sort of had a transition from being someone who people wanted to have this very specific demeanor into just being a 100% ruthless killer. Again, when you were just talking about it, it made me think of a Kobe. I know a lot of people have said it, but it was just a clip that I think Darren Ravel is the one that always retweets it. But people were asking about him being too hard on his teammates. And he said the classic line of, if they mind, they don't matter. And if they matter, they don't mind. And that was like Kobe's mentality of the whole thing. It's like, you're either with it, you're either burning the ships with me, or you're taking the ships back. So I always will love that about Kobe. What uh, one of the questions we're going to ask Cowherd, <clears throat> you know, because he's a really rich guy. And if he had $500 million, $500 million to invest, would he invest it in mutual funds? Would he invest it in crypto, NFTs, sort of future digital currency type products? Or would he invest it in a team? And if in a team, which one? If he wants to realize the most gain on that $500 million over, say, the next 10 to 15 years, which one? What would your answer be? I'm too smart for this question because I immediately went like real nerdy on it. I was like, I'd buy all the graph flight, all the nickel I could get my hands on because that's the future, right? Everything's going to be these batteries. Like that's, if you watch the news, you watch any network talking about finance, it's all about electric, all about the batteries and how that's the future of everything. So to me, if you're trying to make easy, quick money, it's, it's always about natural resources. I just like natural resources because to me, it's very simple and it's basic and someone stupid like me can follow that stuff. Like the demand for wood, did I know wood was going to go up 200%? No, but I knew there was going to be a high demand when they started building homes again after the pandemic ended. So that's one of the things where if I had 500 mil, I, I, just, I just invest into natural resources. To me, that's always the best return because they always rise and fall with whatever the need is. And right now, the highest need in America, it's surprisingly nickel, graphite, all these things that we don't really mind. People don't really know this we're a huge export of these, these things in America. Like that's a big problem. So the next couple of years, people are going to see, it's going to get very different where they're going to start upping up our natural resources ability, just because we don't want to be dependent on Russia. We don't want to be dependent on China. We don't want to be dependent on uh, Taiwan. So that's one of those things people need to start thinking about when you're investing natural resources. Did you basically just say that you made a huge purchase of companies that are wood producers and that paid off for you already? Uh, not so much this year, but last year. Yeah. Like say I invested heavily into wood companies uh, summer of 2020. It was up like 200% by that December and it kept going up through last year. It's only started to drop now just because the housing market's coming down. But no, that's again, I, I'm not a smart person. I just watch a lot of YouTube. Why don't you like when this happens, why don't you share this with me? I don't understand. 
I give you tidbits. I told you about buy the score. It was going to blow up the gambling company. And little do we know a company didn't have buying the score. They went from being worth, what was it? $15 to $75. Guy, guy, you never said buy the score. You never said that to me. I said it to you and PK at the bar in New York. You know this for a fact. Oh, you might have said that. Yeah, that's true. PK, of course, is Patrick Keene, the CEO. Of you both looked at me like I was crazy. You're just like, nah, we don't know about that company. We, Dude, I know the score. I'm saying you guys were like, I don't know about investing in them. I will listen. If you want to give me any any tips, you know. I just gave I'm, you guys oh, great ones. Graphite Nickel. Look into it. All right. I'm writing it down. <laughs> you know what? Let's ask Coward some of these things. He likes to play the market. We can ask him what he would do with all his money. This baseball season, turn K's into cash and big hits into big wins with FanDuel Sportsbook. Right now, new customers can step up to the plate with a risk-free first bet up to $1,000. And with FanDuel's same-game parlays, you can turn little bets into big paydays. For example, tonight I like the Marlins first five, Marlins money line, and Marlins team total over in a same-game parlay. So just sign up, place your first bet, and FanDuel will refund you up to $1,000 back in site credit if you don't win. There's no better place to bet America's pastime than at America's number one sportsbook. I like betting at FanDuel because they've got parlay insurance, they have great promos nearly every day, and a safe and secure app. When I win, I get paid fast. So download the FanDuel Sportsbook app and sign up using promo code FAVORITES to get started with your risk-free first bet up to $1,000. Must be 21 or over and present in select states only. First online real money wager only. Refund issued as non-withdrawable site credit that expires in 14 days. Restrictions apply. See terms at sportsbook.fanduel.com. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP or text NEXTSTEP to 53342 in Arizona. Call 1-800-GAMBLER or visit fanduel.com slash RG in Colorado, Iowa, Michigan, New Jersey, Pennsylvania, Illinois, or Virginia. 1-888-789-7777 or visit ccpg.org slash chat in Connecticut. 1-800-9-WITH-IT in Indiana. 1-877-770-STOP in Louisiana. 1-877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY to 467-369 in New York. Call the Tennessee Red Line at 1-800-889-9789. Call 1-800-522-4700 in Wyoming or visit 1-800-GAMBLER.net in West Virginia. All right, we're back with Mr. Colin Cowherd. He joined us previously. He's come back again. He liked it that much. Colin, Simon and I had been discussing before you came on a lot of NBA topics. Things I listen, you know, I listen to your radio show. Love your radio show. Consistent themes I hear you talk about on the radio show. Ja Morant, his ceiling, the ability to become a superstar playing in Memphis, Russell Westbrook and his legacy. But the thing that I want to talk about right now, as we are heading into the playoffs, Harden and Embiid, how far can a duo like this go when you're looking at them versus the Nets versus the Bucks versus what's happening in the West? Well, I think the move by the mayor of New York to lift certain mandates is actually significant because historically you need two great closers in the playoffs. That's why I don't buy Miami. Jimmy Butler's a great athlete. He plays with great passion. He's not a closer. He's just a great athlete. In February and March, he shot 10% from three. 
he's under 40% in the fourth quarter since the trading deadline. So Bam out of Bayou, he can't get his own shot. He's an athlete. They don't have any closers. Now, because of the mandates lifted by the mayor of New York, I get Kyrie and Kevin Durant, arguably the best small closer and big closer in sport. I don't love their team. I don't love their chemistry. We all know how the playoffs work. Closers win. So Embiid and Harden, I get a perimeter closer and maybe the best big closer in the sport. They're good. I have my questions about Boston. Tatum's a closer. Jalen Brown's an athlete. He's a scorer. He's not a closer. So last year is a great example of we thought Milwaukee, we really liked all of us, liked them for about three years. And we kept being disappointed. What happened? Oh, Giannis in the finals hit 15 to 17 free throws. He became a closer and Middleton had a 40-point game. So Chris and Giannis both elevated to more consistent closers. They won the title. Um, I think Miami and Boston are sucker bets. Listen, I've seen this Boston story. Jason, Jalen, and Marcus Smart. Marcus Smart. I've seen it. It has a ceiling because as good as Jason Tatum is, you know, you start doubling him, you trap him, get the ball out of his hands. They don't have a consistent other guy. So I think they're red hot. People fall in love with them. I see a total ceiling. Um, and it, same with Miami. I just don't buy him at all. I think Butler's a live wire. I think he's inconsistent with a ball late. Um, people confuse athlete for closer. John Wall was a great athlete. Derek Rose was a great athlete. Westbrook was a great athlete. Never trust him late. Shot clock quarter game with a shot. So, you know, that's my takeaway. Harden and Embiid, just fine. I still think was if they didn't give up Seth Curry in the deal, I'd like them way more. I think they need one more. I don't trust Tobias Harris, the big spot. I think Curry was a nice rotational piece, kind of a Patty Mills ability to just hit a shot. Um, but I think they're good. I think we have a history. Veteran playoff coach, dominant big, guard that can score. That's called the Lakers dynasty. I mean, that we've seen that. Like, right? Like, Doc, Embiid, Harden. Like, we've seen this for generations. They're going to win playoff series. I'll tell you what the wild card is, though, with that team is Maxi. That, to me, that will be the reason they'll get the championship. If he can step up and be the big three, like people keep proclaiming, that, to me, is the difference. Because I've seen Harden wilt. Honestly, like, I mean, Chad, yes. all year. I've seen, like, of all the players that I could – not one of the Sixers – it was him, and now I like him. Like, I like him on the Sixers. I like watching him on the Sixers. I think he yeah. fits well with that team. Yeah, athletic. But to me, yeah, it's about Maxi. Like, if Maxi can become – again, he's 21 years old, but we see flashes. Like, we just – we talked about Ja. You see these flashes of these kids, these young kids, where you can be like, oh, my God, I have never seen that before. And I told Chad, with Maxi, I've never seen a player for the Sixers like him since AI. Like, think about how long ago that was. And now other people are seeing it. We have saw him put up – what was it? 30 points against the heat by himself when the, when the yeah. two big guys set out. So yeah, Maxi, he, he might be getting that, that reaching that level right now. Yeah. They're trying, they're struggling to figure out how to use Tobias Harris. Um, he's not a great shot maker. He's a really nice athlete. He should be a four on a championship team. So he may be, if Maxi's your three, Tobias is your four. That's a real team. Um, yeah. Maxi's a fascinating player. Like I didn't know how he and Harden would work, but he is so twitchy and so active and, you know, Harden has a weird style where he can be hard to play off of Maxi kind of works with Harden. 
much quicker than I thought. Like Spencer Dinwiddie and Luca, it works much faster than I thought. You mentioned uh, Derek Rose. You mentioned Russell Westbrook. So here's a question I was asked the other day by my 15-year-old son and his friends who are all serious hoop heads. If you could have prime Westbrook or prime Derrick Rose, who do you take? Simon, you can answer, then Colin will answer, then I will answer. Derrick, without even thinking about it. Derrick was yep. a better shooter, a better athlete, and a better teammate. Like, yep. I'll never forget that clip of the All-Star game where LeBron James is doing the look-at-me kind of dance. And Derrick Rose is like looking at him like, this, what is this dude doing? Like, I just, I always love Derrick Rose. So I think we're all on the same page. If he never got hurt, he's arguably one of the best players ever to play. Yeah. He also has, which Westbrook has never had, he's got good self-awareness. Like he went to New York and owned the fact that, man, my, my game's changed. It's not as vertical and was a really nice contributor to them. Westbrook still, he still lives in this weird parallel universe where he sees himself as a top 10 player in the league. And like, dude, it's over. Like Melo struggled with that and then came to terms. Melo's been good for the Lakers off the bench. Melo came to terms with, I'm a bench guy. Um, Derek Rose knew what he was and what he wasn't. His issue was he had a weird rotation on his jumper. He just, he didn't, he just didn't have a great jump shot. Like, listen, man, he had all the other tools. He just did, well, he wasn't a great pure shooter. Wall and Westbrook aren't either. They think they are. Like Rose knew he wasn't. He would rather score at the hoop. And because he's you know, thin, not frail, but thin, he, you get beat up. So like, I always liked Derrick Rose. I just, he had a flawed jumper and that's okay. He just did. But he was also like Derrick Rose in that MVP season did everything that Russell Westbrook has never been able to do. Got his teammates involved made everybody yep. better, yep. took that team on his back to the conference finals. Like the Westbrook conversation, I always find it fascinating. You had a segment about a month ago talking about chemistry. And to me, like what going back to Embiid and Harden, what they did almost instantly was have chemistry that they needed one game to prove it. And it's something that Westbrook and LeBron have not been able to figure out in close to 70 games now. Now, Westbrook is, um, you know, people forget this about Westbrook. UCLA didn't know what to do with him. They didn't know what to do with him. They made him a two guard. He couldn't shoot. He was seen overwhelmingly as a defensive asset at UCLA. They didn't. And then, you know, he went to Oklahoma City. Go look at his early numbers. They weren't quite sure what to do with him. So he was just so profoundly hyper-athletic that basketball coaches fall in love with that. He was so springy. I just, I never bought into it. Just he, John Wall, like, dudes, people can't keep up with you. Slow down. You know, everybody loved Westbrook's assists. Nobody's ever thought he's a great passer. He just had the ball so damn much. Like Stefan Marbury, oh, nine assists. Did you ever in your life say, Oh, he's like magic. He's a magician. Like, I think Kobe Bryant was actually a really clever passer, but he usually was the best outside of Shaq. He was the best shooting option. So why pass it? But like Westbrook averages more career assists than Kobe. He's a terrible passer with bad hands. He can't catch. Well, with Westbrook also, what's interesting is there was a transition where for a while, his motor and his competitiveness were something that 
everybody loved about him. And I'm trying to figure out when did it switch? When did sort of when he just became not as effective as a player that people all of a sudden were turned off by the same things that everybody loved? Well, I think when Kevin Durant left, I think the truth was unveiled. You know, I think Tyreek Hill with Tua, you know, you're going to watch that and go, wow, I saw Tyreek with Mahomes. I see Tyreek with Tua. Oh, all those people on the fence with Tua are going to go, oh, yeah, this, it doesn't, they're not, they can't go deep as much. So I just think once KD left, the truth came out. And the, the truth is he is a uh, ball usage, ball centric guard who's not efficient, um, is dared to shoot. Most of his assists are simply off ball usage, not the brilliance of passing or some sort of court vision. Um, he just has the ball in his hands all the time. Now, Harden, interestingly, has pivoted and is actually a much better passer than I think we gave him credit for initially. I think when he went to Brooklyn, I was like, he's kind of effective at this. He got people involved. Didn't get a lot of credit for it. But I do think I do think Harden has kind of pivoted to a more uh, a fundamentally better distributor than he was entering the league. At Arizona State and early in the league, he was just a scorer. But I think he has the ability. I think he does have some self-awareness. He knows he's kind of high maintenance. Russell just doesn't get that he is, but, but Harden to me has evolved a little. I think he has, I think he's become a better team player than he gets credit for. Uh, if you're just going to throw away this past season, like, do you look at LeBron as the greatest performer in modern uh, for playoffs in modern NBA history? Like to, for us, he is arguably the greatest. I know people argue all the time about it, but just go, taking it away this past season, just looking at the playoffs is, do you think he is the greatest modern performer? You know, it's always been hard because Michael and Kobe had similar games. So do Magic and LeBron. It's like trying to compare coconut cream pie and brownies. Like, they're both good. I, they're not really the same thing. I mean, Michael was a scorer to a fault. I mean, would ghost teammates. LeBron's really magic. I mean, you're seeing it this year. LeBron's like, I want to win the scoring title in my 19th year. The only player that's ever been as good as long as LeBron is Kareem. And in his 20th year, he averaged 14 a game and looked like an old wheelbarrow down the floor. LeBron decided this year, team stinks. I'm going to score. AD's hurt. I mean, he's had 50-point games. So LeBron, not that he's been hiding it, the most valuable LeBron stat in his career, this is the one that always jumps out to me. LeBron's junior year in high school, he scored 26 a game. His senior year in high school, he scored 27. And you and I know he could have gone from 26 to 56. That told you everything about LeBron. It's never been about scoring. LeBron James, high school, 27 a game. Really? No, he's always been about getting people involved. So to me, he's, he's magic. He's just a better athlete than magic, who was always a poor defender. Uh, I, I always think the comparisons with Michael are virtually impossible. He's going to win the direct, the longevity stuff. Uh, Michael was also uh, because Michael had a brother and Michael had a strong father figure. Michael was really um, was not passive aggressive. Michael was very confrontational and very physical and very combative. You know, LeBron was raised primarily by his mom. He didn't have a brother there wrestling downstairs in the basement and, and, and there, there's real value in that. Like I grew up with a sister, not a brother. 
So I'm a lover, not a fighter. If you go to my high school, the kids that were on the wrestling team and the tough guys, they all had brothers. They're fought downstairs. They wrestled. They fought over stuff. So Michael's a different personality. I mean, just genetically, he's much more physical, much tougher, much more aggressive. You know, LeBron, I think, is a little bit, a little more thoughtful sometimes, a little more get other people involved. I think that's their personalities. And it sounds like I'm trying to be a therapist here, but that stuff matters. Like LeBron has really got magic's personality. He really likes to be collaborative with people. Like I know guys in LeBron's circle, he shares the ball, you know, businesses, his production company, he'll, he'll pass the ball and get others involved. You know, Michael's, <laughs> Michael's into Michael and, you know, and sometimes to a fault. All right, last question, because I know you're going to sell the volume for, I don't know, a billion dollars. I'm not going to sell it. I just signed it last night. I'm not going to sell it. You're holding on? <laughs> no, I like it. I like yeah, just keep the company. building. I like control. I don't want to give I, up to some hedge fund schmuck. I li- I'm not selling the company. You know what? I think you're going to change your mind. <laughs> I don't know. I like my team. I don't want to sell- change your mind. Here's what happens. You sell it. And then some guy or gal come in and they just run roughshod over all my values and all our teamwork. What, what's no, they wrong? Don't. Listen, we sold out almost exactly a year ago and you go through a process, you find the right partner who ultimately, you know, offers you fair value that you feel good about what your exit is going to be, but also who you feel is going to align with the direction that you want to go if you want to keep owning it. And you do that. And if not, you don't sell it but someone's going to put a big number in front of you. You're going to sell it. And that's going to be the case. Yeah. But you, there's more, that whole big number thing. Uh, I think there's an allure, you know, what, Chad, I've said this chase good management, not money. Cause there's a sea of money out there. There's not a lot of great management. Dude, I'm with you. I'm a, I am, I'm the embodiment of everything. you're saying. Simon and I are not for sale. You'll take a check and run <laughs> across the street for a nickel. Simon and I, you can't buy us. No, because yeah. you're true Brits. That's the British. That's right. Of us. That's right. Simon and Colin, a couple of <laughs> Brits here. We grew up. Our genetics are based in a pub. Shitty yeah. food in a pub. You're, no, you're my cousin. A Northeastern guy with lobster sandwiches. <laughs> oh, oh, my God. I am Midwestern <laughs> to my roots, to my core. Midwestern, solid, salt of the earth. Don't give me your British pretense. Here's my question, though. You've got half a billion dollars now. Billion. Okay. A billion, half a billion, 500 million. Are you investing regular mutual fund? Are you investing in some kind of crypto? Are you investing in a team? You have to think about it from the perspective of what do you think will give you the most return over the next 10 years? 50 million in an indexed fund or a combination of index funds, uh, 25 million in cash, 425 million in team ownership, in which I have to probably buy a team, um, like an MLS team. There's no value in being a minority owner in professional sports. It's the worst investment in the world because you can't pull the money out and you have no control. So 75 million you know, 50 million in just the index funds, cash on hand, but I would, I would take probably 80% and now I couldn't afford an NFL team and I couldn't afford an NBA team, but I probably, I would probably try to be a majority investor in an NHL or MLS team. 
both good buys. I like the MLS more because I like soccer more. I was like, Colin, you got to go back across the pond. Premier League. You can easily be an owner over the Premier League. For $400 million, though? I'm telling you, they're like Leeds United. There's some rough places over there. You could get on the cheap. My, you know, my wife asked me this all the time. She goes, what do you make of the stock market? You know, it's like 33000 And I said, well, look at, look at Ukraine and Russia. You know, look at some of the fundamental changes with immigration in Europe and the, and the, and the, you know, the issues they're going through. I said, the wealthiest people in the world are putting money only in two places, our stock market and sports teams. You don't know what's going to happen to governments, but you know the Red Sox will be in Boston in 25 years. <laughs> the world's wealth has come to our stock market because of too much international volatility and to pro teams. Liverpool is going to be there forever. You don't know what's happening in this world today. So to me, outside of some cash and some funds, I tried to be an investor in an MLS team eight years ago, two teams I looked at. I talked to one of the owners uh, in Minnesota and he said, if you're not a majority owner, it's a vanity play. You'll never get, you know, you're buying it for your kids in 30 years. And I didn't think that was, I don't understand like the stuff I invest in, like real estate, I get to play with the stock market. I get to play with, I don't want to invest in stuff if I can't play with it. And that's no fun. Right. I'm with you, man. I think that was a good answer, Colin. I like it. I can't wait to find out what happens when you uh, turn down half a billion dollars for the volume. No because, because, because you know what? You're just, a, you're just a, a guy with British roots who just wants to continue to grow your team. I get it. That's totally cool. And we're, listen, we're honored to be a part of it. Thank you for coming on the favorites podcast from the volume podcast network for Simon Hunter, for Colin Cowherd, for Matt Mitchell. I am Chad Millman. Download us from Apple podcast, from Spotify, Wherever you get your podcast, rate, review, subscribe, five stars, write whatever you want. Feedback is a gift. Till next time. Love you. 